How would you rate your self-esteem? And how do we even define self-worth? What do we consider valuable? Is it how much money you have? How many possessions you own? Is it how many friends you have? How much love? What defines self-worth? Do we define it? Do others define it? We live in a world where people are constantly trying to sell us something and say, if you buy this, you'll look better. You'll feel more valuable. You'll feel more worthy. This is a critical topic that affects us all. It affects who we are, how we see ourselves. It affects the choices and decisions we make. So please join me as we discuss finding your self-worth, even when you're told you don't have any. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will speak. Be, <laughs> Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about finding your self worth, even when you're told you don't have any. This program is dedicated by Sandy K. Gerwitz. Let's start again. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be discussing finding your self worth, even when you're told you don't have any. This program is dedicated by Sandy K. Gurowitz in honor of her birthday, our family's matriarch and woman of valor. Indeed, how fitting. So what is self-worth? How do you rate your self-esteem? How do you even define it? How do we measure self-worth? Is it how much money we have? How many possessions we own? Is it the amount of friends that you have? The amount of love in your life? How do we define it? And it's not that simple because we live in a world that we're inundated all the time by marketing, by sales, everyone trying to convince us that if you buy this, you'll feel more valuable. If you look like this, if you travel here, if you smoke this, if you experience that, that will make your self-worth go up. Things that appeal to our emotions, that manipulate us. I'm not saying all products are bad products. But that's the world that we live in. So we live in, and that can create an illusion of self-worth based on other people's standards or based on what others are saying instead of really a self-worth that's generated from within. I remember I was at a conference. It was in uh, Lima, Peru. It was on happiness. There were two people on the panel, myself, that brought more of a psychological, spiritual perspective. And there was a psychologist, a local psychologist. And he said something interesting that I want to share. Talking about happiness. He said that research shows that the country that has per capita the happiest people is the Netherlands, Holland. And there are many different theories why. 
Some say because everybody has health insurance. Government gives that health insurance to everyone. Other reasons. So he went to travel there to see. He came to, he discovered that there were no public billboards, no public advertising on the roads and public places. And this was his theory, that the more you see, the more you covet. The more you covet, the more disappointed you are because you can't buy it all. So the people there have lower, lower expectations. When you see so much, and I think he gave the number that in the Western world, by age 20 years old, the average man or woman has been exposed to over 1 million advertisements, whether it's in print, whether it's in media, whether it's online. 1 million. There's no way you bought all those products. So create subconsciously or even consciously a certain element of lack, of deprivation, which creates unhappiness. That, of course, tells you that for many people, happiness or ultimately even self-esteem is defined by these externals where others accept you. Now, we all understand that we're social human beings and we need acceptance and we need validation and we need love. But what defines your self-esteem and what defines your self-value and your self-worth? And how do you find it and hold on to it and discover that it's not others that create it, but it's something that comes from within you. Because as long as you're subject to other people's opinions, then that changes like the stock market. One day you're more valuable, another day you're not. You get a little older, and suddenly you're not as valued as when you were younger. As we see today's world of what, of what is valued. External beauty, age, vigor, and other such elements. So really the question is, is, what defines value in your life? And where do you stand? Let's be honest, many of us are very much products, if not victims, of our environment. Our environment has shaped its expectations of us, its demands, and we feel that we're inadequate if we don't live up to them. It begins with our parents, and it could be also our educators. And then friends and social pressure and media and marketing, everything out there. We don't live in a neutral world. Now, hopefully you have parents that taught you and validated you for who you are, not for what you did for them or for others. But if that was not the case, it becomes more challenging because in our formative years, when we're shaped and we're impressionable, every reaction has an effect on us. That's why you can definitely trace self-esteem issues or self-worth back to childhood. The more validated, the more unconditional love and nurturing you received, guaranteed, the more self-assurance you have, the more self-confidence, the more self-worth. And the converse is also true. But that does not mean that all is lost, even if our parents and our environment does not validate us all the time because it's your birthright. It's something that comes from within. These forces would definitely be helpful if our environments, our parents, our support system accepted us, and more than that, valued and cherished us and embraced us for who we are, not for what we do. But that's a support system. That still does not replace you. That's the whole point. 
So of course it gives a great head start. Now think about it this way. For nine months, each of us, you and I spent nine months in your mother's womb. And then there were, there were no expectations and no demands. You were fed, you were nurtured, you were sustained in every possible way. Of course, a, mother's, a pregnant mother's moods may affect the child, but the child is mostly protected from all the externals. So we begin our lives with a very deep vote of confidence that something is nurturing you. You deserve to be loved. And that does a tremendous an amount, which I don't know if scientists and researchers will ever discover the extent, because how do you measure the psyche of a fetus, of a child in his mother's womb? But that sets the tone that at least those first nine months, you had like a perfect environment, the womb, completely submerged in the embryonic waters, nurtured, like we are underwater when we feel that type of comfort, like a nest. You're in a nest, nurtured, protected, cherished, embraced. Then begins the process. You're born, the umbilical cord is cut. Now, if our parents continue that message of unconditional love and nurturing, then that, then that continues to feed us and build our self-esteem. So then when we go out into a world that can be sometimes hostile, a world of strangers and people with all kinds of demands, we are strongly immunized, if you wish. We've been reinforced. We have the, the tools and the resources empowered because we have that self-worth. And now we deal with the world around us. That still doesn't mean we don't reckon and we're not affected by others, but you have what to go with. You're not this fragile, vulnerable creature just dependent on other people's validation. But regardless, the nine months we always have. And more than that, we have the soul. Your very soul. That is what gives you your ultimate and absolute indispensable value. And that's where we really have to focus. Whether you have self-esteem and self-worth or high level of it, or whether you have a lower level of it, that's how we find self-worth. Independent of what anyone else says. Find yourself, find your soul. Not your body, your soul. So I'll share a story that really captures this in a very powerful, powerful way. It's one of those definitive moments in my life. I never forget it. It affects everything I do, everything I teach. And it's really the underlying message, I think, is the single most important thing we need to know. And that is your indispensable value. Indispensable, I, I emphasize. So when my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, was published, first published in 1995, the previous century, previous millennium, the book publisher, William Morrow, sent me on a book tour. I didn't know what a book tour was at the time. I learned quickly. It was initially 20 cities. It ended up being 90 cities. And at the time, you traveled to these different cities. It was all scheduled by the publicist at the publisher. A scheduled talk in the evening at a local Barnes & Noble or independent bookstore. Borders existed as well. There was a big chain, Borders. But through the day, you did interviews. There was a print interviews and radio interviews and television interviews, and that led to the event in the evening was a book signing. I would speak, and then afterwards people would come over and I would sign the book. 
This was in a city in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was, the event was attended by thousands of people, not because of me, just for the record. There was a memorial evening then for Prime Minister Rabin from Israel, who was assassinated. So many people came out, but I was the scheduled speaker before that was scheduled, so therefore I was the speaker. And maybe it was all meant, not God forbid, anything negative. The evening was meant for me to meet this person that the story is with. Okay, a line of people after I spoke lined up, I signed books, people spoke with me, shared their email address, different interactions. Come back to New York, and I receive an email. Was it an email or a letter? I don't remember now. From a woman, she says, she writes the following. The words are etched in my memory, so I can repeat it almost verbatim. She writes, I was in the audience during your talk in St. Louis. I got online to see you, but then the line was too long, and I chickened out. I got cold feet. So I decided instead to write to you. I am a 47-year-old executive that lives and works in St. Louis, well-respected, have a very powerful position, influential position. My equity is nice, my contacts, I'm considered a success story by all standards. However, beneath the veneer of success lies a woman in shreds. You see, my soul was murdered when I was a young child by the abuse I endured at the hands of my parents and others. And she spells out emotional, psychological, sexual abuse. It destroyed my self-esteem, my sense of self. It was soul murder, but not once, continuous. I loathed myself, and it affected everything in my life, especially relationships. As I got older, tried to have relationships. I had no trust, not in myself, not in others, always testing people until I destroyed any relationship. So intimacy, relationships, were all just simply dysfunctional, if at all. I've tried many types of therapy, she continues. Nothing's really worked. I struggle literally every day, sometimes with suicidal thoughts as well. So what do I do? I wake up every morning, breathe in, breathe out, and try my best. What does a person like me do? People who have lack of inner control create outer control. So I became super ambitious, super driven, super aggressive, succeed on many levels, somewhat to numb and relieve that existential vacuum within myself. So it doesn't really help, but it works in some temporary fashion. And I've long given up hope. Someone recently gave me a copy of your book, Toward a Meaningful Life. I'm Jewish, but I don't do anything Jewish because my parents, anything they do, I've turned the opposite direction. I think she said they were traditional or they holidays. I'm not sure. But I reject it all. But I was reading that. I was looking at your book, just browsing through it skeptically, and a line jumped out at me. In the chapter on birth, the beginning of the chapter, you have a quote, she writes, Birth is God saying you matter. And I read it again. Birth is God saying you matter. Suddenly I felt this, this, like a silver bullet between my eyes. Touched a deep cord inside me. Birth is God saying you matter. And I read it again and again. 
and I will continue reading this line the rest of my entire life. Suddenly at 47 years old, I came to discover the true secret of value. That your value is not based on what other people tell you. That my value is not based on what my parents told me I was worthless in so many different ways. That our value is not based on the fact that for many companies or many people we're just a statistic on someone's balance sheet. That your value is not based on your looks, on your youth, on your buying power, on your equity, on your productivity. Your value is based on one and only one thing. That you were born. That God gave you life. A vote of confidence that says that no matter what others say, you matter to me. Birth is God saying you matter. So even if there's a day when I didn't produce that much, or I didn't get a compliment, or I wasn't told that I wasn't validated, that value cannot be taken away from me because no one gave it to me. My parents didn't give it to me, so they can't take it from me. And then she concludes, she says, so though I have many years to heal, but now I have my work cut out for me. And this would be eloquent if it weren't under the circumstances I'm saying. My work is to create bypass surgery, to bypass the infected and toxic arteries that were so polluted by the abuse I endured and reconnect to that pure moment at birth where God said, you are my child, you matter, you are indispensable, I love you unconditionally. And then she concludes, thank you for giving me back my life. I remember when I read that letter, I was crying, I was sobbing. Firstly, a woman sharing such a sacred confidence with someone she doesn't know. Second of all, just a life experience, the pain of that. I actually went back to read the book, to read that chapter. Because even though I wrote it, you always want to see it from the perspective, the eyes of the reader. Actually, a book, once you write it, it belongs to the reader, not to you any longer. And I read it through her eyes. And it was, in a way, mind-blowing. More than I ever expected. I wrote back to her, of course, offering my support, my friendship, my any way I could help, asking her permission to tell the story, which she gave me without using her name, she said. She didn't want people calling her who have similar stories or want to give her sympathy or, or comfort. But the story remained with me. We stay in touch, it's years. It remained with me because it left me haunted by that question. Do you think you matter? And I began asking audiences, and I ask you. I probably asked this question to hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more. Do you think you matter? And I could tell you the reaction. Audiences either giggle, some people a little uncomfortable, or it's like a silly question. What do you, of course I matter. I have plaques on the wall, I have degrees, I have this accomplishment, that accomplishment. I have a family that, sh- that loves me. There are many reasons why we feel we matter. But let me rephrase the question. If you were never born, would it make a difference to anyone? Ah, it's a different type of question. Once we're here, it's called circumstantially we matter. So either we make sure to feel valuable, or we do have loved ones. There are people that validate us and, to- and people who consider us invaluable to them. And their lives. And you see that, God forbid, when someone dies. You see the loss of people are affected by that person. 
But that's circumstantial. That's after the fact. That's after you were born. But if you were never born, there'd be no tragedy because no one's expecting you. So there is anything on a cosmic level that changes if you're here or you're not here. Again, not after the fact. As a matter of fact, after the fact, as I just mentioned, many of us do whatever we can to feel valued. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's what started percolating inside of me. And I started asking people that question. And many people answer, oh, on that level? I don't know if I matter on a cosmic level. Would it make a difference? Eight billion people on the planet? One more grain of sand on a big beach? Would it make that much of a difference? So some people say, no, I don't think I make that difference. Some say, I'm not sure. What I learned from this woman is something. I always felt I mattered because my parents loved me. I'm the oldest of five siblings. So I never asked that question. But is that the reason I matter? And what happens if, God forbid, one day my parents would tell me, you're not that valuable, or they reject me, then my stocks go down, my value goes down? But this, this woman didn't have that luxury. So sometimes the eclipse of the sun teaches you something you don't learn from the sun itself. She didn't have that luxury. So she came to the real truth through pain, through loss, through a lack. She came to the real truth that your value is not based on others, even parents. They can validate it. They can confirm it. They can nurture it. Just like water that a gardener waters the garden, nurtures the flowers, but it doesn't create the flower. It nurtures and it creates an environment, a fertile ground for the flower to emerge. She came to the truth that birth is God saying you matter. That the true value comes from your very essence. The mere fact that you exist means that the vote of confidence on the most cosmic level, yes, on a cosmic level, that you matter absolutely, you're indispensable, and has nothing to do with what other people say. Yes, if they validate it, that's great. And it doesn't mean it's an excuse for us not to do anything. But it means your value is not a product of and a result of your actions. On the contrary, because you value yourself on a, such an essential level, you will do much to actualize and to justify and to say and demonstrate your inner value. That's what I discovered and that became a driving ethos, a driving force of myself, of the Meaningful Life Center. Meaning in life. That you truly matter, and what you do matters. And it's not optional. Someone tells you, hey, we need you to wake up tomorrow, 6 o'clock in the morning, we need a volunteer to come with us to visit some sick people in the hospital. You'll say, do you really need me 6 a.m.? And you'll say, okay, you know what, if you can't make it, if it's optional and arbitrary, you're probably not going to do it. But if someone says to you, hey, we must have you, we need you, you're absolutely necessary, everything changes. Because you feel that sense of urgency, that compelling sense of urgency. So I developed a theory as well, and I've written this to her as well, the woman in St. Louis, I've written and told her, I think that the driving force of ambition for so many people in life, and when they try to find value and worth, whether it's material things, or in other uh, excursions, or other escapes, or even positive experiences, is because there's a subconscious fear in all of us that maybe we really don't matter after all. So we have to make sure that we do. 
and we do everything possible to show that our value. Some things could be very beautiful things we do, can motivate us to build great things, could also be destructive things we do because we're trying to mask or, or, sub, or uh, compensate for a lack of inner self-esteem. Some of the most insecure people become very aggressive and they seem to be secure, but it's just masking and covering up a very deep insecurity, deep low self-esteem, as we know. But ultimately, the only way you're going to really find self-worth is when you discover your soul. And it comes down to a practical exercise that I would like to suggest and have suggested in the past. Every morning, make that declaration. Just like a business can't function without a mission statement, what's your mission statement? That you have a soul that gives you that absolute indispensable value. Birth is God saying you matter. So when you wake up in the morning, there's that one line, prayer, chant, meditation, moda'ani, thank you for returning my soul to me. Just that. I mean, it's a fuller statement, but it's short. You can find it in prayer books. But the main thing is the focus, the intention. Thank you for returning my soul to me. What are you saying? First of all, it's a statement of gratitude and humility. You're not self-made. Secondly, it's a statement that you are put here for a reason. You're on a mission. Thank you for renewing my contract. Thank you for making me indispensable. Thank you for giving me a mission that I, and only I, can accomplish. Yes, that's what it means. That you matter, not on a circumstantial level, not on a productivity level. That's all an outgrowth of value. You matter because you are sent here to accomplish something that only you can accomplish. The unique song, the unique light that you emanate, that you give off. And then it also triggers, once you acknowledge that in the morning, that through the day you're going to look for ways. How can I express my soul? I meet someone, make it a more soulful experience, more personal, kinder, gentler. And it could be done both cognitive, uh, uh, cognitively, emotionally, behaviorally. It's a mindset, but it's also based on your feelings and actions of living a life from inside out. Your inner value of your soul drives what you do. Now this takes work, but a good beginning is to start with that one morning, that one line, I said one morning, one line meditation every morning. Birth is God saying you matter. That's how you find your real self-worth. And you have it right now. All the advertisements that try to sell you things None of them are going to say birth is God saying you matter because then there's no product to sell. They have to sell you something, a product, a service, a look, a journey. Here, this is something you have. It's your own birthright. You're not going to buy it on a shelf. It's not something you can purchase. It was given to you. Now you have to discover it. Now again, if our parents and our environments validated, supported that, reinforced that, of course it would be easier. But that doesn't mean you can't find it because it's right there. And then look for people that validate that. You know, many of us have on our contact list, I'm sure, individuals that always know how to throw cold water and skepticism on any, uh, anything hopeful in your life. You have come up with a good idea. Ah, it's not going to work. Ah, I've been there. You're naive. Find people that validate you, that say, oh, wow, great. Take, embark on that journey. Try something new. I believe in you. Believe in yourself. 
This, my friends, is how we build the self-worth that we already have within us. So we're not, dis- we're not, we're not discovering it. We're uncovering it. Thank you so much. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. Love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, your suggestions, your ideas. And please share this. And please subscribe to our growing YouTube channel. Be blessed and be well. And remember, you are indispensable and we all need each other. The cosmic symphony is not complete without each of us doing our part. So it's a great honor to jam and cross-pollinate and interact and interconnect with you. Thank you so much. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.